All right, you can uh, turn in your Bible to John chapter 16. Um, I, did, I did want to make clear, I think one of our slides has our Holy Week schedule, um, things that are coming up for Holy Week. Um, first of all, we are intending to have Easter all together one service outside. Um, we, the session decided, you know, it'd be special to be here in the building to have Easter. We didn't get to do that last year. But it would be more special to be able to be all together, which uh, and and hopefully that include people who need to be more cautious due to COVID. Uh, some of you watching at home right now, you'll feel more comfortable being out in the field at the West Campus. If you are worried about coming because you have mobility issues for whatever reason, age, injury, vertigo, whatever, we let us know. We will keep you a, a parking space close to the front for you with level solid seating you'll be able to see and to hear and you won't have to go much of anywhere uh, you could potentially even stay in your car and roll down the window if you wanted to so we want everybody to come to that if, if possible if the weather does not cooperate please pray that it does then we'll revert to coming back here and we'll do two services and that'll be great too we'll figure that out and um, we'll communicate that as soon as we're aware of that uh, also we will have a, a good friday service uh, and we'll have a time on Monday Thursday where in the middle of the day where the, the sanctuary will just be open. We'd, we'd invite you to just come and sit and pray for a little bit if, if you'd like. There's no programming or, or anything. It's just um, a good way to spend some time on Monday Thursday. So um, those, that's what's coming for Holy Week. Palm Sunday is a week from today, and then we'll kick off from there. Does that make sense? Let us know if you have any questions about any of that. All right, this morning we're in John 16, the second half of the fourth verse, which starts this new section of a talk that Jesus is giving before he is crucified. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. If I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and de declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And we'll move to verse 25. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. And that day you'll ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father. And have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. 
His disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and we do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you'll be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it was spoken by Jesus, communicated for us, your church. God, I pray that our hearts would be open, that we would truly listen to you. I pray that you, your words would find the stony places of our hearts and break open those places. We thank you for your love for us. We ask that this, this word would result in responsive love for you. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Um, this is the, the last week in our series uh, that we've called A Life of Pursuit, um, which started just before Lent. Um, and we, have, we started that as we invited our church to participate in this corporate rule of life throughout this season of Lent. And we'd just like to remind you again and again, what we mean when we say that is uh, not this list of new rules for you, but instead that these spiritual disciplines would act as a ruler, as a guide, a scaffolding, a trellis for your spiritual life. And uh, each week in this series, we've been talking about um, one of those things that was on that list um, and things related to it. This final discipline that we're talking about is, is called the examine, um, which we invite you to participate in. And if uh, you've missed it so far, if you, didn't, if you didn't know what that was, the examine is this habit, this practice of closing your day and doing it, uh, running through it in your mind with Jesus, to review the day with God and to say, uh, where, where did I experience your goodness today? And where did I run from it? Uh, where, where did I experience closeness with God? And where did I experience no closeness, closeness with God? This is, a, 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 as a regular practice, something that was, comes out of the tradition of Ignatian spirituality from St. Ignatius uh, about 500 years ago, though it's moved on beyond that. The language he uses is, where did I experience consolation, the consolation of the Holy Spirit? Where did I experience desolation, emptiness? And the, the purpose of it is to get you and I to actually pay attention to what God has done that day, to actually live in light of his presence. Now, if you are like me, this particular spiritual discipline has been difficult I, I, when I come to the end of my day and I am finished reading and I turn off my light and my head hits the pillow, the window of actual conscious thought is very small. 
Uh, I, sometimes I'm not tired enough to just pass out immediately, but I often am. And so many times I have in my day said, I need to remember to, to do the exam before I go to sleep. And then I go to sleep and I, I forget. But there have been many times as I've done this in this uh, season of Lent where my last conscious thoughts are this exercise of asking God to show me how I've spent my day with him. And so I, my, it's my last memory of the day. This is a simple exercise, really. It's really a simple invitation to live in light of the truth that we say we believe, which is that we live our lives with God. We live our lives before him and with him. And this teaches us to think about our days in that way. We're looking here in John chapter 16 at Jesus' words before he leaves his disciples. This is in the closing section, really, of the Gospel of John. John uh, tells us of this time that Jesus spends in this the upper room, where we, from other Gospels, know that Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. John won't tell us the story of the institution of the Lord's Supper. Instead, what he'll tell us is about Jesus washing his disciples' feet in this long series of instructions, this upper room discourse. And right after this passage, Jesus goes into what we call the high priestly prayer, a beautiful passage where you can hear Jesus' own prayer life as he prays for his disciples and the people that will follow after them, people like us. And here Jesus is giving to us this key to understanding how it is that we have life before and with God. And Jesus tells us about this by telling his disciples that he's going to leave them. And that in fact, it is better that he does. Now, this is difficult for us to believe is difficult for the disciples to believe. If during the day you just walked up to me and said, hey, if I could offer you one thing, if, you, if I could offer you the chance to stay, things stay as they are now, or would you like to have dinner with Jesus as the disciples did face to face? It'd be a pretty quick, probably, choice B. Just by instinct, I would think, that seems better. That seems like a better option. And Jesus is teaching here that that is the wrong choice. That that is in fact not what we ought to choose. That we should wish that we could go back in time and be like one of those disciples. That somehow we now are better off. Why? Well, because, he says, that he's sending the helper. It should be capitalized in your Bible, that, that H, the helper. And by that, Jesus means the Holy Spirit. That he is sending the Holy Spirit and that things will actually improve when he leaves, when Jesus leaves. You can hear it, not just uh, in this sort of nebulous way, but Jesus says, basically, you cannot have heard everything that I wanted to tell you. He said, I have more than I wanted to tell you, but you cannot bear it. But when the Spirit comes, 
you will be able to hear it and to bear it. There are things that, that you weren't ready to hear. I couldn't teach you because you weren't ready to hear. But when the Spirit comes, He will communicate to you all that I want you to know. And He says that He will teach you about, about righteousness, about sin, about righteousness and judgment. What He says is that the Spirit will communicate everything that the Father wants you to know. He describes it by saying, all that the Father has is mine. And the Spirit will give you what is mine. The disciples are unprepared to hear and understand and to believe what Jesus says. They hear this teaching and they don't quite get what he means. And we know it. Because what happens in the events that follow? Jesus is taken from here very quickly to be arrested, tried, crucified, and buried. And the response of the disciples is not, everything is going to be fine. They are, in fact, crushed. They, they are inconsolable. It seems they, they gather into a room, they shut the doors, they pull down the shades, and they are in mourning, absolutely destroyed by the death of Jesus. They are utterly surprised and, in fact, disbelieving when they find out that Jesus has been resurrected. Famously, the Gospel of John will show you Thomas does not believe until he can see with his own eyeballs and touch with his hands, which I get. No, I'm not bagging on Thomas. I, that would be me too. But there is a time coming then even after that when Jesus will ascend to heaven. And he makes it clear. This is, there is no like three days later, surprise, I'm back. This is, I'm leaving. And he promises them to wait for the coming of this Holy Spirit. And at that, when that moment comes, that thing is better than the moments, the years that they have spent walking in Jesus' physical presence. They were not at that moment able to believe it or to receive it. And yet here we are today, followers of Jesus, Sensing and knowing that this is a truth that is for us as much as it was for them. When we do this thing that we call the examine, what you realize if you're like me is that I have lived the vast majority of my day completely unaware that God was with me. When, when I step back and, and say, let me just think through my day really, really quick, because I, I can feel myself fading out really quick as I think from the beginning to the end of my day, I, I stop and I notice all of these little and big moments that I should have been grateful to God. Beautiful things that I saw, precious slices of moments with my children, ways that I interacted with people that I care about, times when I got to do what I love. And I realized I never, ever 
stopped in that moment to give thanks to God. What I did is what I acted like, that was the way the world ought to be, and that was my right. I never for a moment thought to think, thank you, God, for providing this for me. And when I notice when life gets difficult, it gets hard, it gets painful, those are the moments that I do often turn to God. But I often turn to Him after skipping out on giving thanks for everything that He'd done and complaining and saying, well, well, wait a second, you were here, why didn't you A, B, or C? So God is there to receive my complaints but never any of my gratitude. But honestly, the vast majority of the day is spent ignoring him. Failing to see that he's even there. Jesus is describing something that should be revolutionary. That is, in fact, revolutionary. Remember, this is happening in the context of the story of Israel. And the whole move of the story of Israel is to prepare a people who can be in God's presence. A lot of times if you're, if you're reading the law, if you're reading Leviticus and portion, other portions of the law, and there's all these things they have to do, there's sacrifices they have to give, and sometimes money, they have to take all these special baths and all these things. It's all about so they can get closer to God, either at the tabernacle, at the temple. And if, you, if any of these often ordinary occurrences happen in your life, you can't go unless you've done these purification rites because the message was it's dangerous to you, for you to be too close to the presence of God. You're just not ready for that. Even when you do finally come into that good, clean state where you can stand before God, you can only get so far in the temple or into the tabernacle. Most people stand on the edges of the temple and tabernacle. One person once a year can go into the very middle where God sits on his mercy seat and speaks. Only one person one time a year can go in there. Some people can stand just outside of that room. But everybody else, you and me, we're out on the edges. And Jesus says this different thing is about to happen where everything that was reserved for the very center of the temple or the tabernacle is moving out of this one special room and is instead moving in to every single person who follows Jesus. That the holy of holies now resides within every single one of those who trust and follow Jesus. It is unbelievable. It is mind-blowing. And so when I look at my day and see every day how often I fail to pay attention to God, it can feel so overwhelming. It can feel shameful. How? Have I once again failed to acknowledge the living God who has come to make his home with me? What kind of person am I? What's important for you and I to hear in this scripture and to know 
is that Jesus is speaking to these people these things just before the moment of their most profound failure of him. All of these people are hearing these words in the presence of Jesus praying for them. And they are within hours of tucking tail and running as soon as the swords come out. Jesus is speaking to a room full of failures, of people who will betray him. And they too will be in the same place that you and I can be daily, wandering in the darkness of our own failure. What kind of person could I possibly be? And how could God ever want to spend any time with me? How could this possibly be true? Every single disciple that has ever heard these words from Jesus in John chapter 16 has been on the brink of the same kind of failure of Jesus. And what you have to hear is that Jesus targets failures, betrayers, frail people, and says, this is what I want. This is what I want to give you. This is what I will give you. Not if you do well enough, if you attain high enough, if you do enough, then maybe if you qualify, I will send the helper to you. It says, you are loved by the Father and I am sending the helper. I will send my spirit to you. It is not about my own spiritual success. It is about God's own generosity. His own love. So when you examine your days, when you examine the life of your heart, you are meant to see that you are a failure. That you suffer under the weight of your own sin. And to hear the truth of the gospel. That God has always chosen you. Just as you are. And intended to move close to you. And the precise moment when you think he should run from you. I'm reading, uh, we as elders are reading this book together, uh, Gentle and Lowly, um, by a man named Dane Ortland. I, I read it last year and was profoundly moved by it. And now I'm reading it again. I don't read books more than once. I just find it boring. I know I shouldn't, but that is just the truth. And I'm reading it again, and this book is moving me all over again. And I want you to hear what he says. Christ's heart is not far off, despite his presence now in heaven, for he does all this by his own spirit. Christ himself not only touches us, but lives within us. The New Testament teaches that we are united to Christ, a union so intimate that whatever our own body parts do, Christ's body can be said to do. It's from 1 Corinthians 6. Jesus Christ is closer to you today than he was to the sinners and sufferers he spoke with and touched in his earthly ministry. Through his spirit, Christ's own heart envelops his people with an embrace nearer and tighter than any physical embrace could ever achieve. His actions on earth in a body reflected his heart 
the same heart now acts in the same way towards us. For we are now his body. You now are the recipient of a closeness with Jesus that far transcends what those disciples in that room experienced at that moment. You now, because of the Holy Spirit, don't just live in the same proximity to Jesus, but in fact, your spirit is united to his at the deepest, most intimate level. And what you need to hear is, when you consider that, when you consider how you have lived your life ignoring him, God is calling you back to himself. This whole life of pursuit, this life of spiritual formation, is not about getting ourselves to be uh, performing enough virtuous acts to climb the ladder up to God. Yes, people of God are transformed in life with him. You should become more mature in Jesus. You should have an increasing taste for his word and a knowledge of who he is and, and what he's like and what he commands and what he says. Your life should change in the way that you exercise it and do it. But the equation is not that I do those things and then God will approve of me and I can move up the ladder. The whole life of spiritual formation is to first understand that God descended the ladder to you. God is not inviting you up to an increasing pyramid of performance to finally one day hopefully meet you there at the top, but instead the scriptures tell us Jesus gave up everything, divested himself of glory to take on the form of a servant to come close to you. So when you, in your moments of honesty, recognize your deep and real failure, which you need to first do and understand, is to hear that God has come close to you, knowing exactly who you are. And when you hear the command to repent, which is exactly what you should do and what I should do. You should stop living your life for yourself. Stop ignoring God. Stop having your natural appetites dictate the entirety of your life. Stop your greed, your lust, your anger, your judgment. Stop all those things. Stop them. Repent and come home. But when you hear that command to repentance, what you need to hear is the voice of the Father that Jesus describes. And the voice of that Father is not the voice of condemnation or shame. It is not the voice of a threat that if you do not do what he says, you cannot receive his love. He'll hold out on you until you pass some test. Jesus tells these disciples about to fail the truth. And the truth, he says, is that the Father loves them. The voice that calls you home in repentance is the voice of your Father who wants you to come and be with Him. We're ending this series in the same place that we started. With Jesus' plea, His command to His followers, stay with me. 
stay with me. Stay with me and be filled with my life. Abide in me. And if you are ashamed at your running away, the call of repentance still is the voice of Jesus saying, come home. Stay with me. I love you. I want you to stay with me. And if you are hearing this and you are plodding along in your spiritual life, that's just kind of what it feels like. Just sort of gray, same, every day. You, you said, this sounds like amazing, exhilarating. And my spiritual life feels like one day after another of monotony. What, what is being promised to you is not spiritual ecstasy every moment of your life. It's not that you have to live on the heights every moment of every day. It is instead a promise that as you slowly and methodically move through your day, He will be with you. You may not even be able to feel it. You may not actively experience it all the time. But He's there every day, as constant as the rising and the setting of the sun. You are a rock on the seashore. And God's love is the constancy of the tides coming in and coming out, washing over you, even when you fail to recognize that he's there. God is meeting you in the ordinary repetition of your every day and providing for you the same promise again and again. I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you. Whether you are bored or ashamed or ashamed of your boredom, this morning, the plea is the same. Come see Jesus. Remember that he is with you. He is here right now by his Holy Spirit. He is here with us now. He will be with you when you rise tomorrow and when you sleep. And he will never, ever leave you or forsake you. He is giving you the riches of his love for you and will do so until you and I see him face to face to the conquest of this world is completed. As he promised, when we experience suffering, he has overcome. In that we rest in face of failure and sin from within or without. He has overcome and he's with us. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your words. We thank you that your spirit teaches us these words in a deeper way in our hearts. We pray for the, for the grace, faith, the gift of faith. We feel weak and frail. We feel incompetent and stumbling. We ignore you. 
time and again. I pray, God, that you will speak to the deep shame and failure of your people. And as you move them, that they would first understand that they're being moved towards you to reception of your love. And then they can move on into holiness, to sanctification, to growth. God, I pray that you would give us an increasing taste for you, yearning for you. Father, we, we know what we are. And when we forget, it's very easy to be reminded. We're so grateful that you love us, people like us. The people who are hearing this, who have never trusted in you, God, I pray that this morning will be a, a time for the first time where they might say, I am not trustworthy. I want the kind of life that Jesus describes, life perpetually intimate with God. Pray that they would turn in prayer to you and receive that. For those of us who are doing our best and seemingly doing our worst, pray, God, that we would see and understand that the gift you give us has never been based on our own goodness, but yours. We are so grateful for your love for us, Father. So grateful. Help us to be a grateful people who continue to live into and rest in your love. Amen.